Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I've done an episode, as I say, like literally interviewing a pedophile who was an 18-year-old who was the um, class president at his school in Germany, this guy. Uh, and yet I think this is going to be my most controversial episode yet. And all I do is say what the science says. It, I haven't said a thing that doesn't have a string of references behind it. The controversy is... Why isn't anybody talking about the science? We're only talking about how we feel about it. Okay, I think I'm about to be cancelled. Look, I've had a good run. The podcast has gone for two years. It went from just four listens in its first month to 200,000 listens a month now. And that's not including the YouTube channel, which is growing and growing. It's probably about time that it all imploded on me. Today's guest, Dr. James Cantor, is an American-Canadian clinical psychologist and sexologist who specializes in hypersexuality and paraphilias, which are unusual sexual behaviors. He was a senior scientist with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto and editor-in-chief of the journal Sexual Abuse. He holds a PhD in clinical psychology and his research on pedophilia was the subject of the acclaimed documentary I Pedophile, in which he features, he's talking in that documentary. He is also a gay man and he speaks a lot about his place in the LGBT stuff. I also find him really funny, charismatic and likeable, so I'd love to talk to him again, even on a social occasion. But Dr. Cantor also holds some of the most controversial views known to man. So how do I deal with theories that I know are going to cause controversy? The truth is, I don't know. A common theme in this podcast is curiosity over judgment, but that doesn't mean that it's responsible to put out theories as facts, nor would I want to dismiss those theories coming from a scientist with far more knowledge and experience than me, like Dr. Cantor. I often try to expose cult thinking, ideological thinking, and cognitive biases on this show. One of my favorite quotes is from Bertrand Russell, the philosopher. He said, when you are studying any matter or considering any philosophy, ask yourself only what are the facts and what is the truth that the facts bear out. Never let yourself be diverted either by what you wish to believe or by what you think would have beneficent social effects if it were believed. But look only and solely at what are the facts. I love that um, sort of maxim. Um, I think it's brilliant. I try to use it as much as possible. Uh, there are so many things I wish were facts. I wish the idea of an afterlife were an established fact because I don't want to die. I wish it were simpler 
to prevent so many inequalities in life and that putting uh, virtue signaling tags in my Twitter profile would actually help anyone other than myself. I wish I were better at football, but there we are. We have to go by the facts and the stats around my football career don't bear thinking about a non-existent career anyway. The problem is that even science, for a layperson or journalist such as myself, requires a certain element of faith. For example, I know that the world is more or less spherical and not flat, but to an extent I do rely on faith because I'm not going to do the science and the maths myself. I have faith in the overwhelming consensus of scientists around the world. I have faith in the photos we have seen of the Earth, that they are real and not manufactured, and I have faith in the explanations that clever people have given me. That's true of almost everything I know. I rely to an extent on faith, and I have to choose which people to believe. Usually that's quite easy, because if all the clever science people tell me, for example, that gravity is part of the space-time curvature, then I can believe it. But what about the theory that pedophiles are made by the same process that makes people left-handed? Now, this is a researched and fascinating theory, but has only been done, as far as I can tell, by Dr. Cantor and his team. Uh, what about the concept that boys are born gay because of something that happens in the womb of a woman that had other male fetuses in it before? These are all fascinating theories and points that have the potential to alienate and upset a lot of listeners. Throughout history, there have been scientists who put their head above the parapet and come out with theories that seem subversive to the rest of the scientific community, particularly when those theories transgress societal norms of the day. For example, the belief that the earth was the center of the universe was a principal tenet of religion and human narcissism. Um, so to, to go out against that caused a huge rift. Any science today that might go against the currently popular idea that we are all exactly the same might also face a backlash. And I also must say that there are a lot of scientists on the other side, you know, who come out with controversial theories that are very quickly debunked because the research wasn't successfully repeated by other labs. So just because a scientist, I, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm saying that just because a scientist comes out with something controversial, subversive and interesting that it's necessarily right as well. So that's where it's difficult. And, you know, where does that leave someone like me and you. The reason I have people with extreme views on is because that's sort of what this podcast is about. I want to hear conversations and for you to hear conversations that you wouldn't get on mainstream TV channels and uh, publications. I want intrigue and controversy and excitement and I have to weigh that up against the possibility that I am spreading harmful myths. I would say this, if you think that those aforementioned theories are going to put you off the podcast, then please just skip this one and I'll see you next time with Jan Broberg from the documentary Abducted in Plain Sight. Her story was remarkable, tragic and totally insane involving aliens and uh, mad stuff. If you're staying for today's episode, then buckle up open your minds to new potential ideas while also opening those same minds to alternative views. If you want to get in touch to express your dismay, please suggest alternative scientists and researchers with opposing views as I'd love to listen to those too. I'm on andrewgold underscore okay on Twitter and Instagram or get in touch with your anger with the fascinating, fantastic, eccentric, the beautiful Dr. James Cantor through his website drjamescantor.org or his Twitter, James Cantor PhD. 
if this is my final undoing, then I went out on a high because it's a great episode and the good doctor is a real hoot to hang out with. It's been a great pleasure. You're on the edge of sexuality with Dr. James Cantor. What were you telling me about being a Jew from New York? You were saying something about it. Oh, no, the, the anecdote actually was, uh, uh, well, that's a source of my sense of humor. But no, the anecdote was as soon as I heard your voice, my brain registered British, like my partner, which registered, I forgot my tea. So he is British. He's a man because you're a person of homosexual persuasion, correct? Yeah. Yes, I, 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 I was entirely persuaded as soon as I met him. <laughs> he converted you. He's is he is he a lovely handsome man? Still in my eyes, yes. Still the, in my uh, eyes sounds sounds not full of wholehearted. Oh, I, no, no, no. It's uh, I'm acknowledging his own insecurities, and I don't okay. see any of them. Right? He thinks he's getting old and fat, and that. Yeah, yeah. What can I say? We're together thirty-one years. Uh, we at, actually we met at a psychology conference. This was uh, nineteen ninety-one. This was you know the old days. You know the the issue of the day. This was the height of the HIV era, uh, and I gave a uh, a talk. It was the first of its kind. I was giving a talk on the gay graduate student experience at uh, conference of the American Psychological Association, uh, which by sheer coincidence was in uh, uh, in San Francisco that year. Uh, anyway, and he was in the audience, and so we met at the you know gay student social hour, you know the uh, the day after, and that was now thirty one and a half years ago. Oh well, congratulations on lasting so long. Most couples do not. Tell me, what did your grandmother say to you about getting into sex research? <laughs> I I thought the segue was going to be what would is what would, what did my grandmother say when I came out. Uh, oh, actually, and that was the impetus. That was the, it's because I met the one, right? And it's time, right, that it's time for him to join the family. So that was the thing that, that uh, made me finally come out to my grandmother, who just kind of slapped the table. I knew it. <laughs> well, I heard that she said, she said, if you're going to be thinking about sex all day, then you might as well do it for a living. You may as well get a job at it. Uh, exactly. Uh, no, that's uh, uh, she was a very, very, you know, down to brass tacks, cut through it all right down to the heart of the matter kind, uh, kind of woman. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that so that again was it uh, was exactly uh, her reaction. And it was classic uh, her. For me, the approach was much less remarkable, you know, again, you know, growing up at the time I grew up, you know, just being different from the people around me. I just had a natural curiosity. Why am I different? What, what makes me different from the people around me, uh, from the rest of the world? Uh, and then from there, sheer coincidence, I just ended up doing a, uh, uh, an internship and then a long postdoc, you know, uh, working with Ray Blanchard and uh, his then colleagues who were studying pedophilia which to me was just broadened the intellectual question. It wasn't what makes me different from the rest of the world, but what what makes anybody interested in whatever it is that we're interested in. So, right, all of a sudden it was, it's, so my personal journey was the jumping off point, but it really was the taking it away from my subjective stuff and, okay, let's look at the big picture whether we like the answers or not. And that has been just a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating 
journey. And oddly, it, uh, it somehow brought me back to my computer science roots. You know, this was ancient, right? The, the, the you know, solid mathematics, matrix rotating. That was, that was how my, that was my brain's first language. The psychology stuff was exactly the opposite end. Uh, but the objectivity with which I was just accustomed to, I, I literally taught classes in logic. To, to engineers. I mean, that was my first language was since the old days. <laughs> yeah, I should just say for, for listeners, because I, d- I doubt a lot of the bit about us trying to get the audio and everything to work will be will make the cut. So I think James's anger about logic and stuff partly is related to the, the lack of logic in, in the way the Macs have set up, Apple has set up the, the Zoom stuff. I wouldn't run it beyond Mac. It's, it's the culture. <laughs> Illogical culture. Low standards for thinking. You know, it's just be popular, whatever gets the most retweets rather than, you know, this is where the evidence leads and I'm going to stick to the evidence regardless of how it makes me look. Now people just want to say whatever the makes them look good. Well, that's been happening forever, hasn't it? I mean, the Victorians were good at that. Uh, Victorians didn't have 10,000 followers at a time. Let me ask you. So we can send people to the moon, right? I've seen a monkey that can play video games with its brain, but... As far as I know, we don't necessarily know what causes someone to have a particular sexual attraction to, to men, women, or whatever it might be. We've No, we've made some good progress. And uh, again, the, by sheer coincidence, a lot of that research came from Ray Blanchard. Uh, although, you know, he and I didn't work tangentially, you know, when there was a certain mathematical thing, I, I, I would get involved. But really, it was... Uh, uh, I was in the lab next door. I wasn't really a major part of that project, but I got to watch it. Uh, he tripped over this factoid from which, as he just pulled on the string, unraveled the mystery. The bottom line to the mystery is that it turns out to be an interaction between a male fetus and his mother's immune system. The factoid which eventually led to that was what we call the older brother effect. Gay men, statistically, not every single one, and by coincidence, I happen to be the oldest in my, uh, uh, among my siblings. Uh, my younger brother is also gay. Go figure. Uh, but the, uh, what uh, Blanchard uh, observed was the older brother effect, that gay men have more older brothers than we should when you look at the just family distributions. And I was, well, why would that be? You know, is that sociological you know, learned kind of thing or biological. It turned out adopted siblings, no difference. It was pure biological order, whether adopted kids are in or out, cross cultural, cross countries, every database he could find, same thing over and over and over and over. Right. Well, it even uh, uh, miscarriages, or, or uh, fetuses the mother carried that she didn't carry to term fit in the fit in the order. So that was the what? Right. So it's biological, but not genetic. There's no gene going from parent to child. What is there that happens? And sisters didn't matter. To, female fetuses did not matter in the birth order. It was just number of prior male fetuses that went through that womb. What Blanchard figured out was that the only foreign substance that's in a male fetus but not a female fetus is the Y chromosome. 
which produces, you know, during the pregnancy, all these HY histocompatibility antigens. Right, proteins that come off the Y protein and only the Y protein, and they are foreign to the mother's body. Her immune system starts to develop a immune response to start neutralizing them. So every now and then they neutralize just the right amount in just the right area that produces a gay kid. Not lesbians, has nothing to do with lesbian you know, production. You know, uh, the etiology of a female homosexuality, but that's what does it in men. So that's why it can run in families, but not because homosexuality runs in families, but the immune system runs through the mothers. I've been doing this podcast, I think, two years now, and I think that's that's the that's just blown my mind. That's the that's I, I cannot believe that, and I can't believe that's not known in like every school. People need to know this stuff, right? But we're spending so much time making sure that you use exactly the right lingo and don't forget any of the letters in the acronym. Meanwhile, we have solved the nature-nurture debate over this, and sorry, it's not about the current topic of interest. Is it definitely solved? Is there a consensus scientifically on this? Nobody who reads it or understands it has been able to reject it or come up with a better explanation for the data. That's as far as science goes. So it is the standing theory, and people have tried to challenge it, but now imagine if we actually taught the science of sex in school rather than the politics, pick your political flavor, but it's, I'm going to tell you what I know, but really it's just, I want the attention, so I'm going to stand in front of the room, tell you my opinion, and call it science. (laughs) Yeah, well, that winds me up as well. So, okay, so from my layman's brain here, and because I think most of the listeners are going to be layman people, it's if you ha- if the if the your mother has had you know fetuses in in her whether they came to birth or not that were male um, before you, it makes it more likely because something in you is sort of getting getting into it interacted with the Y chromosome. Correct. Is it is it saying is it is your is that that person being born like in the in the, in the uterus is it sort of it's getting exposed to more y chromosome stuff from before and is it sort of going oh i like a bit i like this y chromosome i'm going to be attracted to it oh uh no uh really it's much more uh every every fetus starts out female the Y chromosome and its effect on the fetus doesn't start masculinizing the fetus until a couple of weeks into the pregnancy. That, that's when it kicks in. Uh, so because all of the brain, or all of the fetus, or all of us, you know, before the masculinization process starts with, you know, look for potential male partners, that's how we get our genes ahead, and then... One of the things that happens when the Y chromosome and its proteins kick in is a reorganization of the brain. You know, left right, uh, left right hemisphere dominance. You know, non right handedness. You know, just kicks in each thing in its stage uh, over the cro- uh, over the course of uh, of development. One of those things is the switch to now look for you know curvy you know potential reproductive age female. And so it's, you know, in the set of interactions, right, either there's not enough of a signal or not as much of a signal or the signal, whatever line of biochemical events it is that flips that switch from uh, look for male co-parents to 
look for female co-parents, whatever series of events that is, that chain of events seems to be getting interfered with. Well, that's amazing. And and what so about lesbians? We don't know why people become lesbians. Uh, more complicated, uh, which I almost take as a truism in talking about women, especially when it comes to relationships. It's they indeed are much more complicated than uh, than we uh, there's. And there appears to be more than one thing that can make a person attracted to women, prefer women. And it's not quite the same as what gay men versus straight men go through uh, or uh, experience. Uh, For uh, lesbians, uh, as best as we can tell, they are genuinely more masculinized from the brain on up. Right. And it is, again, it's, uh, uh, it does seem to be the uh, corresponding thing that happens to gay men. But for gay men, it's not hormone related. For the lesbians, it does seem to be hormone related. It seems to be an increased amount of testosterone, but we don't know which part of that is cause and which part of that is effect, right? Is there, and uh, we're not exactly sure of the source of testosterone. Is that, you know, from, again, from the mother's body where hormones are doing all kinds of things during uh, pregnancy, or is it, you know, internal to the, uh, much more, uh, and uh, much more of a mystery. And there do exist, you know, lots of people reporting experiences that they uh, fall in love with and interact with other women, but their descriptions are of a very, very different kind. And it's tough to peel apart which part of that is subjective, purely subjective, and which parts of it are objective. Uh, When I say of a different kind, uh, they're often from women, for women to engage and enjoy sexuality, they very, very often mostly need to feel comfortable. Comfortable with a company, comfortable with the expectations for the future, comfortable with what their friends might say. It's this great big integrated thing where for men, hot, not. We could have sex with our worst enemy if they're hot enough. For women, it's relatively rare for that among women, where for men, it's pretty much a default, especially when we're young. So again, for women, if they have had unhealthy or difficult or painful experiences with men, they're never comfortable around men, but do feel that level of comfort with women. So whatever brain part is telling them to look out for, you know, this kind of shape versus this kind of shape, because the social experiences contribute so much more to women's experience of attraction and romance, that it seems to be... As I say, there, there's room for there to be a large social psychological experience-based part of it, which is a piece of women in general, you know, feeling romantically attached to someone being much, uh, much broader. So there, as I say, there there are women for whom it seems to be a very brain-based, very hormone kind of uh, kind of thing, and then there's a large, do I call it gray zone, light lavender, gray lavender, dove. I'll call it dove. That's a good shade. <laughs> that's a that that's the right shade, uh, for them. Uh, so as I say, it, it's and that just makes the research that much harder to do because how do you really differentiate these in an objective kind of way? A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? 
the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. That's also fascinating. And I suppose it's it's the suggestion then is that gay men are born gay and that gay women are sort of maybe born gay, but also other stuff happens. And in some, I mean, that must be uh, a bit controversial in today's political environment to even suggest. Uh, that a man is talking about a woman's sexuality at all these days would be an opportunity for a virtue signaler to demonstrate how much better they are than the rest of the world. So what people think of it, what they want to hear, uh, uh, that actually is probably one of the most fortunate side effects of growing up a gay kid, is that I long ago dealt with, I don't care what others think. I really just, transparent, it goes right through me. I, I just don't hear it. And that, I think, is what's been lost in, I want to say, culture meaning social media media culture, which people are simply accepting as culture, having forgotten that 98% are not participating in that at all. Yeah, I know what you mean. You must still get upset about other things that are unrelated. Like if a friend says to you they don't like um, something you said or your, your hair because you were going to get a haircut, something like that. 
And, oh, that's the other thing I have this afternoon. It's already scheduled. I wanted it before. Couldn't couldn't fit it in. Uh, no, actually, my own friends and, you know, my friends, if they're willing to keep me as a friend, they're an unusual kind of person to begin with. <laughs> you know, the average kind of... Uh, but the reason that my friends are my friends and vice versa is exactly because we can disagree and have an interesting discussion. Why do you think that? Why do you think that? Where does that come from? And when it comes right down to it, we actually don't disagree over that much. It's just different people are accustomed to using different kinds of incendiary terms to des- to describe it. Well, you're, you look, you're on the right show. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, so no, usually it's the people like being able to have the conversation with me that they wish they could have elsewhere in public because they don't have to worry. I, it's, uh, it is missing. Why isn't it CNN? Why isn't it the New York Times? Why isn't it NPR? Suppose they have more to lose. Uh, I am willing to hear evidence about that, but I can't shake the idea that it's just a reflexive answer to what you see on Twitter and keep forgetting that Twitter's not the world. Yeah, I, well, I think there's some of that. And it's just, just saying the right thing at the right time. I was read, I, The reason I mentioned the Victorians before is because I read a great article about that sort of virtue signaling and how back then it was all about innocence. We had this obsession with innocence and everyone was the most innocent, pure person or whatever, while obviously in privacy doing mad, horrible things. Things. And nowadays we've sort of gone back to that, but instead of innocence, it's more like this ethical, moral, social, weird thing that everybody's trying to prove. And again, secretly, you know, like Prince Harry going on about woke environmental stuff while taking like 20 private jets every week, you know, it's that kind of thing is still going on. Nothing is more controversial than trans ideology. Oh, pedophilia comes close. I think it's not even as bad because I did. Um, episodes of this talking to a paedophile, for example, and no one cared. And I did one talking to a lesbian called Katie Herzog, who mentioned sort of some of the trans stuff, and everyone went ballistic at me. So I actually think trans stuff is more controversial than paedophilia and critical race theory put together. No, you're, 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 you're making the same mistake. <laughs> what? It's just because when it's trans issues, people can tweet it and use it for an opportunity of virtue signaling, so you see it all the time. Yeah, of course. But that's what controversial is. Uh, on Twitter. And people keep forgetting that that's not the real world. It's a verbal video game. I still think if I went out with a group of friends today or not necessarily my friends, or just a group of people who are quite switched on to maybe academic progressive stuff, and I started talking about pedophilia, I think it would cause less of an issue than if I were to say something that were that tra- transgressed the, some of the trans ideology stuff, or at least on a, on a par. I think you just gave evidence to my point of view. That they would feel uncomfortable talking about pedophilia to begin with, but feel perfectly comfortable expressing their opinions or volunteering their opinions on trans issues indicates how con- much more controversial pedophilia is. Well, you've been talking about both of them, so you have a good. I think you have a good sense of of them both. But let's. We've got to start with one or the I other. Just got tons of hate mail over either. <laughs> Take your pick. And these are not actually. When I was a, a young sex researcher, these were not the issues I thought would make me controversial. I thought uh, sex addiction and what I was saying about bisexuality at the time, I thought those would be the, the, the big evil things for which I was known. 
and now you're known for that other stuff. The the trans thing's interesting because I was actually I was putting together some questions for you before even you know doing the research on you because I sometimes have just oh oh I want to ask that question. And one thing I was thinking of asking you was why is there a T in LGBT? And and that's not to negate the struggles of trans people, but just because it seems like the LGB bit is about sexuality and desire, and the T bit seems to be about identity, and they seem to be just different things going on. And then I saw on Twitter that you'd shared a thing exactly about that so just yesterday yeah yeah it was funny that it's a coincidence so what is it with that that t seems a bit out of place but is it hate speech to even say so what counts as hate speech find me the objective definition hate speech just means you disagree with me but i can't mount an argument so i'm going to call it hate so you're not allowed to make the argument in the first place but Right. I mean, should I, you know, open the pages of my family history to show the generations wiped out by World War II? I know hate speech, thank you very much, and this isn't it. I'm much more the recipient of it than the people who try to uh, 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 use it uh, uh, for sympathy rapping. Uh, I would also, and this is actually leads to a need, uh, uh, wow, what a bridge. It needs to, uh, leads to an even more controversial tweet that I once made, essentially asking what gets any letter, any group, anybody into the LGBTMOUSE? And who decides? I don't remember a vote. I don't remember a survey. You know, never mind a survey, I believe. Right. It's a logo. It's a sales promotion. It is, you know, and for a long time, for many issues, you know, that was perfectly appropriate. My recollection, again, you know, my strange generational position, I grew up with gay community. You know, the ones who were really getting beat up, the ones who were mostly bullied, was not easy being a lesbian, but they didn't quite get what the gay men got uh, either. But, you know, and then it became important, 60s and 70s, recognized them also, gay and lesbian community, feminism, lesbian gay community, oh, not to be outdone, LGB. And then T was next, and nobody really paid attention to the, wait a second, this is now changing from sexual orientation to gender identity. Because the thinking of the time was really, and I think most people's mindset are, these are the gang who don't fit in the easy way. Just not the regular everyday, can't take anything for granted, you need to know some of the details. Although the word gay, you pretty much understand most of it. But for everybody else, it's really just kind of a et al. So again, and I myself had no opposition to just tacking on the T because we shared a couple of similar issues related kinds of stuff, the overlap between gender identity and sexual orientation, you know, is a quite substantial. And what nobody really says aloud is we had a common enemy. So it just was in general the and everybody else. And then again, to my mind, after the tea, it was just kind of let me you show you how, you know, contemporary I know my language, and it became more about the speaker than the people that they were allegedly speaking about. Because uh, I think after that, again, that's essentially when social media became its thing. And social media has allowed, you know, some pretty dramatic, I don't have a better word, psychopathologies gone viral. 
the people who were supposed to be, you know, helping with these kinds of problems have instead become enablers. You know, it's like watching, uh, it's like watching it happen, I want to say in slow motion, but actually it's much, uh, much faster. Uh, the medical establishment, the professional mental health care establishment, they're supposed to be the ones who protected us against, let's go the list, the OxyContin disaster, the recovered memory disaster, the multiple personality disaster. All of these things that these professional groups were supposed to be using the science in order to protect against, all of a sudden everybody was afraid of not looking sympathetic to whoever was perceived to be victimized, let the science go, minimized it, and and I can't, when it comes to tra trans youth, trans adults is a different issue. For trans youth, it's, as I said, I'm just watching and here it goes again. This time really right in the middle of my field despite everybody who was working in this before social media has been perceiving exactly the same thing. These are not, this isn't trans. What we're seeing is not trans. We have been watching this trans phenomena for a century, we the field. This isn't it. This is a different group using the cachet of trans issues in service of other psychological problems. But the people that we used to depend on the institutions that we used to depend on to protect us against it. Sorry, we get more retweets from our stories when we say this kind of stuff. And we're not even talking individual people. We're talking branches of democracy. Is trans then, you, you say, so, so trans is a real thing. Do we know the science of that? Do we know what makes somebody be trans? Is it the same as gender dysphoria? Two huge questions. By the time I right, get to the end of the first one, I'm not going to even remember that there was a second one. And I need lay I people explanations. <laughs> uh, like with lesbians, there's actually more than one thing that can make a person think that they would be happier living life as the other sex. So uh, the research kind of... Uh, uh, one of the big problems in the research is people trying to use information we knew from one of these groups and trying to make it apply to another one of these situations. Uh, uh, a, a metaphor I find helpful with that, you know, somebody comes in, yeah, doctor, I got a headache, what do I do? Okay, you know, that's a symptom, I understand it. And, you know, people with headaches say, doc, my head hurts, do something. But a migraine headache is not the same as a tension headache, is not the same as just had a head injury. These are unrelated phenomena. Subjectively, they're all gonna use the same words. They're all going to say, Doc, my head hurts. What do I do? But what I do is un what is caused by it and how I help these person. Are these are unrelated phenomena that resemble each other only in the most superficial way. So what causes, and again, I specifically uh, broke them off, the adult transitioners, the people who come to, you know, professionals in on average 30s and 40s, almost always attracted to women, almost always a, a biological male. Them? If they're otherwise mentally healthy, by and large, do fine after full medical transition. When I say otherwise mentally healthy, it takes a year to two years of thorough psychological systematic longitudinal assessments to come to that clinical decision. Those who, you know, start cross-living step-by-step to realize, again, it is the most informed kind of informed consent actually living what life would be like and, oh, okay, let me try the next step. Oh, okay, let me try the next step. Each time with the opportunity 
before I do something irreversible. The research on them, as I say, very, very solid adults. And I don't mean just past 18, age of majority adult. I mean, lived a substantial amount of their adult life so they know exactly what it is that they would be sacrificing. They do fine. When we added tea, those were basically the people that I anyway had in mind. That's what all the research was about. So again, very, you know, not exactly the same, but very, very happy to embrace them in the, you know, sexually diverse, sexually minority. This was a small number of people. So how much trouble can anybody get in? Fine. That's where we were before social media or until social media. The other group we uh, uh, saw a lot of, again, let's say starting the past 20, 25 uh, years, the, the children. When I say children, I mean prepubescent. You know, from three, four, five years old, clearly cross-gendered preferences, you know, uh, uh, cross-gendered uh, preferences. There have been 11 follow-up studies of them. Exactly. And they are unanimous. 11 out of 11 studies show the majority of them stop feeling gender dysphoric and instead figure out they're gay or lesbian roughly by the time puberty hits. As I said, unanimous, 11 out of 11 studies. So there is a link then. That sort of explains why, in support of why there might be the T on the LGB. No, that's not. I don't think that's the overlap. I mean, uh, so far as science is concerned, yes. These kids, and if you, you know, do brain scans of these kids, they're going to get slightly feminized brain. The males are slightly feminized, the females slightly masculinized, exactly as if you took brain scans of adult, regular, everyday, gay or lesbian. Our brains are, you know, in certain subtle ways. Uh, so people will, you know, kind of want to misrepresent it. I'm skipping a step. As I say, most of these kids end up just figuring out they're, uh, uh, they're gay or lesbian, usually by, uh, by puberty. You know, it's just that, and most gay men and most lesbians have a memory of when you're six years old and just know you're different and don't fit in gym class, you know, it's a very natural to a kid explanation, I'm a girl on the inside. You know, that, that's why that story holds such truthiness. You know, we kind of remember such a phase. It's just that by the time puberty hits and you start thinking that the gym teacher's hot, right, you figure out, oh, no, it's about this. And it's, as I say, especially for the men, teenage sex drive is it. The story's very clear. Unfortunately, what's happening now is if you block puberty from happening at all, you're blocking sex drive from happening at all. So they retain that prepubescent child's explanation for why, they're, for why they're different, and they never get the experience of sex drive in order to realize that's why they don't fit in with the other boys or with the other girls. It's because they're gay or lesbian, but you're not going to realize you're gay or lesbian until sex drive, and that is exactly what we are blocking these kids from having. As I say, to a sex researcher, to somebody who knows the science of this, I'm watching a, 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 I'm watching a train wreck in slow motion. Right. And as we have published, you know, and Ken Zucker, recent, you know, years ago published uh, uh, his prediction, you know, if you socially transition these kids before puberty, they're, you know, more likely to persist. And sure enough, that was just reported two weeks ago. You know, all of our predictions are coming true. And we're just 
No, sorry. All right. So do what the activists say. Okay, do what the activists say. That has always worked out so well when medicine ignored the science in favor of what looks popular. Yeah. It, well, it does seem mad, doesn't it? But look, on the other side of this, and I'm just doing a devil's advocate thing here. Oh, I, I, absolutely. No, no, no. Do, 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 please. And I, well, I'm speaking more to the listeners who are going to write in going, you want kids to get transgender surgery? And I don't, I'm not saying, I just want to, the other side of it is if you do it early, you look much better. I mean, I'm six foot four and I've got a big Adam's apple. If I wanted to be a woman, I'd be a much happier woman if I hadn't grown so tall and didn't have a big Adam's apple and that kind of, you know. So that is the, that's the risk you're playing, isn't it? Someone's, someone's life could be much better if they want to be a woman and they look like a woman. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely positively that is the downside. I I don't want to pretend and I have never said that this is an easy all in one direction versus another. No, this is a complicated set of issues and it is it's not all or nothing. There are legitimate pluses and minuses. That said, they should not be exaggerated either. As I say, we have a substantial research literature demonstrating that the ones, mostly male to female, the ones who did grow tall, grow hairy bodies that have to go through full body electrolysis, they, if otherwise mentally healthy, are perfectly happy. Right, so it's, we know the result of going through, uh, in this case, male puberty and having the cosmetic challenges I hesitate to say cosmetic because they are more substantial than just, you know, Doc, I want my nose fixed. Right. But by the same token, this isn't right body functioning. This is how I present to the public and look, it's cosmetic in the technical, in the technical sense. Uh, Anyway, so we know that that is not a block to happiness and a successful result. Flip side, the false positives. The ones who, right, once they're socially transitioned and puberty has been blocked, so they never discover that this is the wrong path for them, they're the majority. So it's uh, for the cosmetic effect on a few to save, uh, you know, pathway, medical stuff of very many. Right. I can't blame an individual person for having, you know, yeah, this is a tough decision. But on a policy level... Are those kids happy? The ones who are unhappy? The ones who never discover that it might have been the wrong or right thing to do? Are they? Do we know that they turn out being really unhappy? Uh, cause and effect. The correlation is very, very strong. But the causal model is looks like it's the reverse of what we guess. People often say and do the, you know, and it's a simple model. If we don't affirm these kids, these kids are depressed because they're transgender. And if we don't affirm them, they'll even become suicidal, that much more depressed. That's the going very simple story. The evidence, that doesn't explain the evidence. That's not, I mean, there's, as I say, there's some truthiness to it. It's a familiar kind of story, but it relies on really a long series of myths that people have about transgenderism and about suicide. Uh, First, people are confusing and activists are actively misusing uh, as synonyms, suicide and suicidality. Suicide are completed suicides, mostly male, mostly adult, mostly white, mostly violent, mostly impulsive, mostly related to mental illness. That's suicide. Suicidality are the attempts, the gestures, 
the cries for help. Mostly female, mostly younger, not impulsive, often public, and as I say, often attention-seeking. Part of a different set of mental health challenges such as borderline personality disorder. It is not solved by transition. It looks, it demographically, it matches precisely the demo, this new demographic of adolescent onset, even though they didn't seem transgender in childhood, all of a sudden during adolescence, mostly female, and the epidemiology and the other symptoms match that to a, pardon the expression, to a T. These are people with other mental health issues that are interfering with their comfort and, you know, social blending into society. But rather than what is it about me or taking the social feedback in order to interact with my peers better? Nope, it's everybody else. It's your transphobia. I'm perfect. It's the rest of the world that has to change. And the mental health professionals who are supposed to be able to differentiate that's not trans. You're just using the cachet of trans issues. Instead, those people have become the enablers. These are the people who a generation ago would have been implanting these false memories of abuse, thinking that they're doing good in supporting who they thought were victimized, but actually they're making the situation worse, congratulating themselves all the way. So the mental illness link, it's not that these people, you know, become happy or don't become happy. These are people who are unhappy in a, you know, bundle of several different things that interfere with social functioning. Asperger's disorder, autism, borderline personality, you know, several of them. They are blaming their problems on gender issues. When they do whatever it is that they do with gender issues, it doesn't fix the problem that they had to begin with, and they continue being upset. Transition does not, despite people claiming it, does not reduce rates of uh, 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 mental illness. There's some indication that it actually makes it worse. It doesn't decrease suicide, which remains, you know, enormously high. It doesn't fix the problem. So post, yeah, they're a big bundle of mental health concerns, just like how they started. But now they're also years on testosterone or surgeries or what, all at best, at best, being unnecessary for most of these cases. Is there a, a link between autism and um, gender dys dysphoria? There does seem to uh, there does seem to be. Uh, it's uh, the overlap is much stronger than what we would uh, than what we would expect just by chance. Uh, nobody's really come up with a uh, the kind of an explanation where the aha we got it. My personal suspicion is that the, uh, we say autism, but it, you know, broadly uh, defined. Uh, uh, my personal theory is that because that disorder is all about difficulty in processing social uh, interaction and they often, you know, have trouble fitting in and they don't read signals and take feedback as fluently as, uh, as other people. Uh, I think, as I was kind of hinting uh, before, I think that gives... Uh, especially for biological females, that that kind of sets a situation up where they're looking for a reason, for they're looking for a group, they're looking for a place to fit in. They're that much more hungry for it, and not able as easily or uh, 
to navigate the the social complexities and again especially for biological women adolescence is a rough rough time and there's a lot of very delicate you know and it feels so high stakes at the time social lessons to learn that if someone has a social impediment right it's that much tougher and here's this group loaded with cachet all of a sudden you have groups online that you can join you get congratulated and you have a ready-made reason for anything socially that goes wrong their fault i'm fine i to a person right who's otherwise depressed or anxious or feels like they don't fit in right they're vulnerable to that kind of messaging and it's right and we have a it's been an explosive interaction with clinicians who have their own unhealthy need to be congratulated by patients and i saw i watched a series called love on the spectrum which was in australia but it's on netflix and um it was you know setting up autistic people of different you know varying degrees some people were really you know not socially adjusted and some people were quite so and it was remarkable how many of them were bisexual firstly uh so they would go on a date with a boy and then they'd try a girl and then a boy and then also a lot of them seemed to identify as sort of non-binary and that kind of thing and i got the impression and i am saying this uh, you know as a complete lay person uh generalizing and totally anecdotally here but my impression watching it it was that they didn't really care that it was they didn't have that much sexual desire or anything it was more a case of they've been told that they need to be in couples this is not me before i get cancelled by everyone. it's not me saying all autistic people are this way or that way it's just that certain ones in this particular series i watched it did feel like they i never heard them going my word that person's attractive what a hot sexy person they're making me feel aroused by it so am i on to anything here or am i just talking nonsense uh well it's uh trying to think of a metaphor museum tour with people who are colorblind they don't perceive the world quite the same way that we do at uh, the way that those of us you know with trichomat vision do oh uh, my husband's also colorblind (laughs) so but that doesn't take away from the value from the experience from the you know need to do it or from the unpredictability of how much it will mean to them, so, uh, uh, how much it will mean to them. Uh, so that they sound different, that they experience it different, and again, how biological males and biological females experience it differently from each other, all bets are off. It's, it, it's all we can do is help follow and provide whatever support and input as best as we can, but as I say, we, it's, all bets are off. Uh, the popularity of fluid, non-binary, and all these other neologisms, to me, that's a clue. And people have not yet glommed onto it or paid attention to what it means sufficiently. Again, especially in these adolescent onset, actually... They identify as male relatively rarely. It's relatively common for them to adopt non-binary, you know, and one of these undefined, never, you know, there exists no, no data about it. As I, that's a clue. They're not identifying as male. They're identifying as not female. 
and they're having trouble coming up with a term for it. And so whatever the term of the day is the one they glom onto. The only thing I think that's important among them is that I don't want to be compared to the classic definition of girl, woman, female. I think actually that's where most of this, I think that's its thread that will unravel the whole thing. In this social media age, adolescent females don't feel like they can live up to these unrealistic, photoshopped, Instagrammed images of what female is supposed to be. And so it's a way to escape the social pressure that growing up on social media and not having the level of interpersonal reaction that prior generations did are not able to navigate the usual healthy progress of female adolescence. And in that deficient, impoverished environment, COVID not helping, are coming up with these ways of, I don't want to be compared to a Barbie doll. But now facilitated by the most unhealthy versions of social media, the lowest common denominator is lower than ever. And for those who are that much more insecure in their sense of self, what used to be cutting is now cutting tits off. It's harming their bodies in service of not fitting in, not getting the kind of attention they want. One of the symptoms, you know, the, the, one of the official diet, well, actually, there are two relevant diagnostic criteria. Again, in BPD, borderline personality disorder. One of them is unstable identity. It's really easy to mistake unstable identity for not fluid gender identity by just ignoring all of the other identity issues the person is having. If you only look at gender identity, oh, it's a gender identity problem when really it's unstable identity in general, and I'm just turning a blind eye to all of the other symptoms. That's one of the the other major criterion for BPD, suicidality. More common in females starts, you know, showing the symptoms during adolescence. Okay, sound familiar? And the prevalence of BPD is roughly 2-3% of the population, as opposed to the, you know, 1 in 5,000 that was genuine transsexuality before social media. So it doesn't take very many of these borderline cases, which would just overwhelm the genuine cases of genuine uh, 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 transsexuality and gender dysphoria. And everybody who's claiming to be an expert on gender these days, surprise, surprise, they learned this from patients after the onset of social media age. The people who studied this before social media, like I said before, recognize this is a different phenomenon. Every objective indicator we have says this is not genuine gender dysphoria. These people are in distress. They need help. But the help they need is not transition. It's the mental health support specifically to the actual stuff that they're going through. And again, like the modern day repressed memory syndrome, it's just become the popular thing to blame stuff on. And the mental health professionals we used to depend on to protect us against this are instead enabling it. We've got to move on to paedophilia, uh, because which is I not a sentence that. I say every day, <laughs> but because uh, we've only got 10 minutes left. So um, what 
I mean, I've done a lot of research in this as well. I know you've been you've looked in sort of Project Dunkelfeld or the the, the Kindtäterverden, which the uh, don't offend thing over there. Which I I was living in Berlin for a while and went and met Professor Bayer over there, and I went and met all uh, a lot of the patients and stuff as well, and spent a lot of time meeting these these strange and interesting people. They they suggest that it's a fixed state being not not that it's with you from birth, but it's a fixed state being a pedophile. But I also spoke to somebody in the UK with their Stop It Now charity who who suggested that it's something that's curable, uh, which doesn't seem to be the consensus. But that's what they said. Where do you stand on this? I stand as always where the evidence is. The evidence is biological, and there is absolutely no evidence that's ever been presented for learned experiences that cannot better that cannot be ex, uh, explained better by biological explanations and there are a lot of biological variables for which you know learned ideas simply have no simply have no response so uh uh we I'll say we uh, the field the field started with the idea that this is curable but not on the basis of any evidence it was just we thought Everything was curable because we're narcissists and we think we can do anything. Uh, but then if you actually ask anybody, you know, what the evidence was, it was, oh, my patients tell me they're better. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, so a pedophile, a member of the single most stigmatized group in the world says, I'm no longer a member of that stigmatized group. And you accepted that at face value. And you have a license to do this. Right, so it, it give me the, as it, and there it is again. I just kind of sit there and never mind trans issues. And okay, so so we will let this guy now circulate in public because you cured him. There, everybody feel better again. Let me sit where the evidence is, uh, and that debate, the nature nurture debate over uh, 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 pedophilia, raged, and that's when I got into the field. Sure coincidence, I had a background in math, I had a background in physics, in neuroscience. So I actually ran the MRI study. I was the first one. And, you know, the thing that made me famous in that field was running the MRI studies on, uh, on pedophiles. Uh, at show, uh, and they showed, yep, nope, in the brain, clear as day. Story unto itself, but the bottom line is, yeah, no, it's in the brain. Oddly, that isn't the evidence that showed that this is a pre-birth kind of thing. Uh, it was, again, something that I didn't particularly expect, really, but it was the thread into the pattern that let me unravel the whole mystery. This one was handedness. Regular, everyday by, uh, uh, males have, you know, are a non-right-handedness, right? So far as brain organization is concerned, ambidextrous goes with left-handed. So it's got a right-handed versus non-right-handed. Uh, roughly 10% of men are non-right-handed. But in my study, you know, just doing standard psychological exams of everybody, which included handedness, it's like 30, 35% of them. Get out. Nothing has rates that big. I mean, if we got, you know, 13% versus 10, that would have been statistically significant. But triple? There's one and only one thing that determines handedness. And it's hemispheric dominance. And it's kind of cross-dominance. So left-handed and I'm left-handed. It's also more common uh, amongst gays. Just another... It's a brain thing. And it's a brain thing before birth. 
we're bored. So anybody can tell me, you know, whatever they want about when it develops. Okay, explain handedness, which sets in, you know, roughly 10 to 12 weeks of pregnancy. And that. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked. Right. I'm absolutely shocked because I've been looking at this for a year, two, two or three years because I was writing a book about it and everything. I've been meeting all the patients. I've been meeting professors and stuff. They've never told me anything about that. What they seem to say is like, well, it's a bit of this. It's a bit of that. You sort of get stuck at a certain age, uh, whether it's 10 or 11 or 12 years old. Uh, it, it, that would explain away the cases like Michael Jackson because they were abused as children and then they became, you know, that kind of thing. Ask for a reference to the this kind of onsets then and gets stuck then. Da, 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 da. Trace it back to the beginning and you will be at Freud. I'm not kidding. That's the ancient myth you got told. Take whatever reference they give you, take the reference that came from, go back, go back, go back, go back. You will get Victorian England. Well, Vienna, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, no, no evidence for it whatsoever. I, I should say no objective evidence. My personal anecdotes, we got loads of those. Objective evidence. And here I am with a stack of brain scans. Right, evidence date saying that whatever was different, it was in the brain and it was before puberty. What does this change, this knowledge that it's in the brain, pedophilia? Does this change how we should be treating these people and talking about them and talking to them? Uh, it sure shifts what the null hypothesis is. Given all the evidence that suggests that this is now an inborn, immutable situation, the only thing we can do is help people develop the skills to manage it. It's not going to change. We're not going to do anything but make people feel like failures if they think it's because they're not engaging in whatever exercises the doctor's assigning them. And we're wasting time developing the skills a person needs to develop an otherwise happy, healthy life as a productive member of society. Uh, now, exactly how to do that is very individual and it depends on the person and their resources you know, for somebody who's, uh, uh, it can range anywhere from sex drive reducing medications just to take the edge off a sexual interest that they can't change. Uh, and it suggests that we should think very seriously about, you know, masturbatory AIDS. I mean, you know, sex dolls, sex robots, you know, it's a doll, it's a robot. Who cares if it looks like an adult, a child, a male, a female? It's a masturbation toy. People say that's a step, don't they? They say, oh, you know, what's that word? It's a word for something like that when it's like a drug that's a drug that... Stupid? <laughs> no, but they say that... What, do you know what I mean? An, an intermediary... I can't remember what it is. There's, a, there's a, like a jump off... What's the word for that? Slippery slope, the kind of thing yeah. that you would believe only if you continued to believe, you know, Freud's 100-year-old idea that this is a learned process and the masturbation exercises is actually what caused it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So all you have to do is masturbate with the right kind of thing and that'll change your sexual orientation even though that that's been an utter failure with everything we've ever tried. You mean that therapy? 
I suppose they wouldn't be suggesting it would change your sexuality. They would just say, like, you might get bored of that and be like, okay, now what, you know, as people might do with pornography. I don't think they've thought about it even that far. People, again, I, my null hypothesis on this one is, here's an opportunity for tell, for me to show you how good I am by showing you how evil I can be to the, to the other evil people. And people are just saying, the more I can stick it to those evil people, the better I look. I don't think this has any whiff of science or or uh, uh, or genuine effort to apply what we know about healthcare in order to prevent things. This is uh, vengeance made holy. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because when we watch films about someone like Alan Turing or Oscar Wilde, and you think about this is somebody who was born with a sexuality, everybody seems to be on board with that. They were born with a sexuality, couldn't change it, it didn't fit with the morals of the time. We feel incredible amounts of sympathy for that person. It's it's heart-wrenching just to watch. We can't think of anything worse. Somebody who not only are not able to act out on their uh, innate sexuality, but also is going to be completely stigmatised, have to keep everything secret forever. It's the worst thing ever. And when it gets to pedophilia, obviously things change because obviously we look at homosexuality as like as a relationship consenting thing between two people pedophilia the act of it the act of abuse of children is so revolting to us and as you say we all want to cook you know we even now i'm going i better tell everyone i'm against that i don't want to it's really really bad obviously it's really really bad it doesn't change that there are these people you had me on on the show that makes you as good as a pedophile anyway <laughs> oh god well good I'm, I'm glad to hear that this is the show that will get me cans this is the episode that will finally be the final nail get all the sponsors pulled out but no that'll be the trans stuff <laughs> Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I said that to you before and you said, no, this bit's worse. Between the two of them, you're getting me cancelled. But as long as I don't say anything too bad. But the thing is, it, yeah, obviously, child sex is the worst thing in the world. Worst thing, worst thing ever. And the idea of these people with the robot things is also quite revolting, right? We, well, you know, But also the idea of these people who are born with this sexuality can't control it, can't change it, no matter how many people want to go, yeah, they can, they, you know, they can't change it. Is, it's, it's actually heart-wrenching as well, isn't it? It's really, really sad. It's so unfortunate that for all the self-congratulatory virtue signaling, if anything, they're making the problem worse. I mean, what we want is for somebody who figures out that they're attracted to kids, you know, when they're 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, getting crushes on their peers, fine, 16, 17, 18, and still getting crushes on 10, 11, 12. We want people in the throes of that to come into therapy. We want them to be able to disclose it rather than hide it. We want the opportunity for whatever supports, talk it out with a professional, again, sex drive reducing medications, whatever. That's what we want. But by stigmatizing it and uh, what several jurisdictions are doing, mandatory reporting laws. Well, so instead of coming into getting therapy, we have this person out in society completely alone with no supervision from anybody. There, feel better? But everybody congratulating themselves because they think they're sticking it to the bad guy when you're making the problem worse. That's what Right, that's the watching the train wreck in slow motion. Uh, And the institutions that we depend on for using the science and seeing through the subjective anecdotes to the objective information, not willing to do it. That's not what gets you the retweets. 
Again, we have in front of us a recipe for how genuinely to reduce rates of sexually uh, of uh, uh, child sexual abuse, and instead, sorry, that's not going to make me look good. I'm going to do something that makes the problem worse because it makes me look good. Yeah, well, because also anecdotally talking to a lot of these people myself, the patients, you know, the mostly non-offending pedophiles who would never offend, or at least they say they wouldn't, um, what tends to happen is, is what you're suggesting, I think, as well, is when they get stigmatized, they can't speak to anyone about it. The only people they can speak to about it are other pedophiles, and some of them might convince them, like, hey, you know, it's okay, child sex abuse. You know, they might end up in those corners of the internet rather than with a medical professional who could let them realize it's wrong and disabuse them of their cognitive biases. Yup. It's, as I say, it's crazy. It, 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 it's, but just watching it, watching what humans do to themselves, we have an opportunity, the knowledge now for how to help and not interested in helping, just interested in looking good. It is nice looking good but not at the expense of more children being abused, which is what happens. It's, uh, I, I would challenge that. Most people who are that concerned with looking good are not happy. They're too worried about losing it. Well, it's a status game, isn't it? The virtue being dominance, virtue and success being the three status game uh, key aspects. I, I think the unhealthy part came before that. I think the unhealthy part is unhealthy, you know, feeling no good, feeling worthless, feeling like I don't deserve it. And therefore kind of getting caught on a track of seeking it out with every available. But the people who kind of look like they're getting it, they're not feeling it. That's why they continue to be so hungry for it is that they're not they're not tasting it. it it's they have an unhealthy need for it that can't it's a drive that can't be satisfied. So it feels good to a person who can appreciate it for its own for its own worth, but the people who need it, need it. If there's ever a place where where I can sort of understand why people virtue signal, it would be in the case of pedophilia, because it, it is probably that every man deep down is afraid of being accused of being one. And I've spoken, for example, with a lot of people with OCD and intrusive thoughts, and all of them are convinced that people think they're pedophiles uh, and that they might be them, because it's the worst possible thing that you can be. So I can understand why if the subject even comes up, and it probably was responsible, that kind of thinking might have been responsible for a lot of homophobia over the centuries, because it was like, I'm not one of them. Oh, look at you, you know? Uh, that, uh, that would not at all surprise me uh, uh, if as young men, people experience the overtures of a pedophile, but from the point of view of the kid, they're just perceiving, they're not perceiving gay man, they're perceiving pedophile. T to them, these are the same experience so that these are two different groups Right, from the experience of the victim, they're not different groups. It's, they're all them. Well, no one wants to be seen as those things. Probably the most controversial tweet I ever twat was uh, when I said, uh, somebody was making a, jo uh, a joke about adding P to GLBT, blah, 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 blah. And I said, actually, I think P should be added to LGBTTQQIA to do anything else. To do anything else is to violate the very principles that give us our civil rights to begin with. 
which was my way of it, which is my way of asking, how do you know who belongs in this list? Well, the civil rights that you're talking about is about consensual sex, which which has been made legal. Uh, da, 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 da. So kink is out? Because, right, because I'm gay, I get to have sex with every man I want? No, everybody anywhere in the list is assuming a consensual partner, which is a very small, tiny minority of the people who are available. For the pedos, it's nobody. It has to stay in masturbation fantasy or role play or whatever. And for some of these people, the asexuals, it's irrelevant. And who exactly are the queers such that they're not already in one of the other letters? I never got that one. Didn't queer, it was just sort of a cool word because it was somehow literary, like it was the 1930s queer theory, queer literature. and all, it's sort You of, could get the cachet without it actually yeah. being a descriptor for you. Right, so do I have any, I have any particular th- sympathy for? Right, people using those of us who were genuinely bullied, genuinely unable to, you know, do anything from get married to give blood, but you find it cool, so you want to be on the list too. I'm sorry, and I need to give you complete... Who's that guy? There's that guy, Ezra... Ezra Mill... Ezra... Is that his name? The actor? Have you heard of him? Ezra Miller, I think it is. He was in... Um, he was a, He played the psychopath in We Need to Talk About Kevin. And, and he was also in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Have you seen those films? Well, he's and he's in he's in the latest Harry Potter thing as well, and he was in Suicide Squad, so he's into those things. But he started saying now, without sort of, it doesn't seem to be transgender, but now he's he's saying he's non-binary and he's this and he's that, and he's also he's been getting arrested loads for attacking people and then shouting at the police that he's and it's just it does feel in that case it's sort of, sort of using these things as an excuse, you know. One, my disclaimer: I can't diagnose anybody that I've never met, blah, 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 and this one I've barely heard of. Google and look up the symptoms to borderline personality disorder. I'll do that. And you, rec- yeah, okay. You're so. going to see it all over the place. Uh, 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 that actually is a. Uh, uh, I don't want to tease too much. Uh, 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 tease too much. My own licensing board will get to, uh, there. <laughs> uh, will get upset. Uh, but uh, one of the things when one is going through psychology school is you end up seeing you know every disorder everywhere. Uh, this is one, and I'm surprised that people don't refer to it more often because it really is. It just explains so much. And after you've met a couple, it's you can start seeing them a mile away. I love that. My girlfriend's going to hate you for this because I, I have no qualifications to do this, and I diagnose everyone with everything, and she's fed up with it. So everyone we meet, I say, is either on the spectrum or is a psychopath or has some aspects of the two or whatever. I'm just constantly doing it with no qualification at all. And it's sort of like a fun game I play and she hates it. In the real world or the way things actually uh, work is, you know, we all have a little bit of all of them. You know, at what point does having an, you know, we're supposed to have all of the emotions. You know, when does having how much of which emotion become... Right, a disorder, right. We're all sad. When does it become depression? Yeah, right. If it's, if you have insurance payments, we're going to call it a depression so the psychologist can get paid, blah, 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 blah. Exactly, and we're off to the political races. Or if it's a diagnosis and stigmatized, then we have to come up with a definition to make sure that you don't accidentally get covered. I've done an episode, as I say, like literally interviewing a pedophile who was an 18-year-old who was the um, class president at his school in Germany, this guy. Uh, 
And yet I think this is going to be my most controversial episode yet. And all I do is say what the science says. I haven't said a thing that doesn't have a string of references behind it. The controversy is... Why isn't anybody talking about the science? We're only talking about how we feel about it. Okay, so was it as bad as you thought? Worse, maybe? Maybe my warning at the beginning made the actual episode seem tame. Maybe some of the theories were fascinating to you as they were to me, and maybe some of those theories got your blood boiling because they are not your experience of being a lesbian or or being gay or trans or the concept of adding a P to the LGBT letters is just too much. Well, I would totally understand that reaction and that feeling. Get in touch with Dr. James Cantor to shout at him. Don't really shout at him. He's a lovely man. On drjamescantor.org or jamescantorphd on Twitter. I'm on andrewgold underscore okay and we'll take some shoutings too if you are so inclined please leave angry reviews on Castbox or apple for the podcast and remember that these are the theories of one very interesting scientist other opinions are out there join me in a few days for the episode with jan broberg from the abducted in plain sight documentary fascinating stuff really sad about a man who kidnapped her and convinced her that she was abducted by aliens on a sexual mission he was awful this guy until then keep well love each other get enough sleep and take a deep breath i like that um i'll see you next time judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.